0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hotshot Wake Up. On today's show, I interview Destiny Morris, who has specialized in couples therapy and works with first responders extensively, talking about these sort of things. We get into the dynamics of being in a relationship with a first responder, what it's like to be out on the line while you're in a relationship both with that firefighter and the individual who's at home. We talk about all the different things that the folks at home would like from their first responder partner and vice versa. It's very in-depth conversation. I think it's very valuable to anybody out there who is a wildland firefighter or anybody who is in a relationship with a wildland firefighter or just a first responder in general. We do get into some heavy stuff. There is some lighter conversation in there as well, but I think it's, topics and discussions that everyone can relate to. I'm very, very thankful for Destiny coming on and I think this is something that would be very valuable if you share it with your partner or a first responder that you know or if you are a first responder, hotshot, or wildland firefighter and you want the person you're in a relationship with to better understand you know, what you're going through and who you are. Uh, to share it with them as well. We get into like the vices that first responders and firefighters have, substance abuse, uh, what that actually does to the body and the hormone levels to individuals who are experiencing that. And then we talk about solutions and how to communicate with the people that you're in a relationship with to kind of reduce that anxiety that happens pre-season and end of season in relationships, which we all know is a thing. Now, I have personal experience with it, and I, I talk about that in this show. I'm starting to think that if I keep having these therapists on, I'm just making my therapy sessions public. But I try to focus mostly on what are the things that we all experience? And, and you know, my life experiences come up just because I was in it for so long and and have gone through this as well. A lot of good solutions are provided, and we do talk about a lot of things that maybe are taboo and, and folks don't want to talk about or listen Uh, too, but deep down I know there's a lot of people who want to hear that others can relate to these sort of things so we get into it. Once again, thanks for Destiny for coming on and uh, we'll just let the interview speak for itself. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades the coast brain and the sierra I have traveled, traveled hey destiny thanks for coming on to the show I really appreciate your willingness to have this conversation with folks and and I know you've been busy but I I really appreciate you coming on
1: Yes, that's right. I was going to tell you that um, I've never done a podcast over the phone, but I, I'm i so excited about it um, <laughs> for the same reasons that I love some of my therapy sessions over the phone. I don't have to make facial expressions. I don't have to look a certain way. I can curl up on my couch with headphones on. This is the most relaxed podcast I've ever done. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I like it that way. I, I want the guests to feel chilled out like let's not let's not stare at each other over a zoom call and try to make a presentation let's just have a chat you know
1: i appreciate that i do it all day long on zoom so it's nice not to have to
0: (laughs) well can we dive in here are you ready ready to dive in
1: Yeah, I am. Um, I'm an open book. You can bring up any topic. You didn't tell me exactly what you wanted to talk about. So I assumed you wanted just to kind of have a natural conversation and see where it goes, but I'm wide open. So
0: for sure. Yeah. So I want to know your background, what you're doing, what your business is. And then I want your opinion on, do you know, the wildfire world and, and, and what your thoughts are there and what you've seen And, uh, same on my side, I'm an open book, so we can go back and forth. And if you want some questions answered, I can do that as well. But if we could start with your background and kind of how you got into what you're doing and, uh, what your plans are for the future with, with what you've put together.
1: So I'm an associate marriage and family therapist, um, which means that I have um, recently completed all of my hours that I need to be fully licensed. I am just in the process of studying for my licensing exam. So um, my background a little bit is when I was in grad school, I was in a relationship with a firefighter. And at that Uh point, um, I know, (laughs) not anymore, (laughs) but I was at that time. And I also grew up um, with my dad being a police officer for some um, amount of years. And with that, I knew when I got into this field that I wanted to work specifically with first responders. So I did grad school just like anybody else., um, and then I did some additional trainings to make sure that I was competent to work with um, you know trauma-informed care and and first responders. So I am EMDR trained. Um, I have my first responder. Uh, counselor training done, and um, I have a lot of personal experience in this field as well. So that's kind of what qualifies me. um, And I've been working with first responders for the last um, three and a half years.
0: Very, very nice. So I guess the first question I have is what do firefighters and first responders have figured out? And what do we Mm -hmm. struggle with most? Mm.
1: So I, I like, and don't like your question. And I'm going to tell you why (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I like your question because it's a good one. I think it comes from a good place and I do have an answer. Um, what I don't like about your question is putting every first responder in a box and saying that everyone has these things or everyone doesn't have these things, but I can give you a very broad overview of what I see day to day with my clients. Sure. So I would say that, um, hmm. Again, it's hard because it's different from case to case. A lot of the stuff that I'm seeing, I mean, I do see the typical, like, you know, I went on a really gnarly call. Um, I need to talk about it. I need to debrief. I've got, you know, PTSD from this. I see some of that. And I think that's probably what people think about when they think about therapy with first responders. But more often than not, I'm seeing a lot of, like, personal relationship stuff with first responders. Um I am seeing a lot of compounded trauma, which just means instead of one incident, it's so many incidents that they can't put their finger on which one it was. It's just like a overwhelming shelf that's starting to tumble down in different areas of their lives. Yeah. But one of the biggest things I'm seeing is is relationship stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I'm sure it's it's something that is an ongoing issue, and and it it at least in my experience, it seems to be beginning of the season end of the season is where most of the stress comes from and yeah i think you're right it does compound the way i look at it is everybody's got a puzzle inside of them and uh sometimes with first responders other people are throwing puzzle pieces on top of theirs and they can't sort it out and they can't get the pieces to fix cuz they don't know where it belongs and they're just taking on all of this stuff and it's difficult to sort out and and i've been a pro, uh, you know i've been pushing for a while that it, it is good to feel your feelings and it is good to try to sort this stuff out because the more and again this is in my experience and people that i've talked to in the industry the more you keep it bottled into you know quote protect those around you the more the silence you know gets louder if that makes sense
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing I see too is, um, you know, as a first responder, you have to be good at compartmentalizing. If you're not good at that, you're not good at your job. Um, just a matter of fact, it's how you guys are all trained. You have to be able to put your own stuff aside in order to focus on what's in front of you, what task is in front of you. If not, it's dangerous. So a lot of first responders are great at that. The problem is once they compartmentalize it, um, I don't think anyone's really taught them how to take it off the shelf and then process it and put it somewhere else. So what happens is I have this image of like a cabinet that's so stuffed full with everything they've compartmentalized that they it's just overflowing. And then the other thing is if you compartmentalize a lot at work, you're training your brain to cope in this way. So sometimes when people go home to their spouses or their families, they'll compartmentalize their partner's feelings or their children's feelings the same way they would at work. And so they might come across to their partners as, you know, not always present or not always there because that's the way their brain is used to coping with things.
0: 100% that happens. And like you said, you kind of rewire your brain. You might not even know that you're doing it. And then and yeah. then if if your partner says, "Hey, you know, you're you're distant, I don't feel like you're listening to me." You might even just shrug it off because you don't even understand that that's the way you're acting or being that, you know, alpha type mentality that just runs shit. When someone starts mm-hmm. telling you, "Hey, this is the way you are acting and how you are feeling." The defenses go up and yeah. And it's hard to to move forward in a in a positive way once that starts happening.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, specifically for wildland too the the seasonal aspect. I mean, goodness, wildland is a creature in its own. Um, <laughs> I I would say that it's in its own subcategory underneath first responders. It's not the typical, you know, police officer or on the floor firefighter. It's it's very different culturally. Um, and just to, um, to share a little bit too, the relationship I was in was with a wildland firefighter. So I've experienced the secondhand, (laughs) uh, lifestyle of a part being a partner of a wildland firefighter. It's very, very different. And so with relationships, because you are seasonally on and then seasonally off, you know, for amounts of time, larger amounts of time than most other first responders. Um, It almost magnifies these things that we're talking about because you are in that mode for so long, your brain goes, okay, this is normal. This is what we do. Whereas you're probably home less time than you are on the field, right?
0: 100%, yeah. And another thing is, my brother and I talk about this often and my buddies who have gotten out recently, but they talk about this as well is we start to crave stress and Mm -hmm. we, we get, we get excited when things get stressful and a lot of things I've seen in my relationship and maybe it's just relationships in general, but I've been in relationships with wildland firefighters for a, a very long time. And, um, With that craving of the stressful environment, and then you just want to problem solve. You want to problem solve. You want to problem solve. And so if your partner comes to you and is like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is how my day was. Your brain switches to, well, this is what you should have done. And this is how we fix that. And let me do this Mm -hmm. for you when you know it's not a crew member coming in and asking you how to fix a chainsaw they're just like hey listen to me because <laughs> i i just want someone to listen to me right is that, is that uh, does that that ring true
1: yeah absolutely yeah the crave stress is an interesting one it goes hand in hand with um craving that adrenaline too
0: yeah well it's or, those cortisol uh, levels it's like your brain gets yeah. used to operating with it
1: Exactly. You're used to operating on this really high level. So what's interesting too is I see a lot of depression with um, a lot of substance use with wildland firefighters because of this very thing, because you are used to functioning in this high stress environment and it becomes something that's almost rewarding Um, that exhaustion is a reward, right? I worked so hard. I deserve this. Um, so when off season comes, that's obviously when I see most of the struggle off season, my wildland firefighters are flooding into my office. Um, (laughs) and I love it. I love it so much. I'm glad it's happening, but it's very common because there's this big dip. Um, and so much is happening. We can really go into this, like physically to the body, mentally, to the mind, to the brain. So much happens during off season because you're used to functioning on such high stressful, like, you know, um, hypervigilant levels.
0: Well, look at what happens to killer whales when you put them in captivity, right? You take a killer Mm -hmm. whale from the wild and then you put them in a box And then their fins start to bend over. They get depressed. They will even swim to the bottom of the pool and not come up and commit suicide. This is what happens when you take wild animals and put them in captivity. Basically, a wildland firefighter living in the woods, and now you're back at your house or your apartment, and now it's gray outside. It's starting to get cold, and you're not around any of your friends anymore running around in the woods. Like, let's get into that. What are some of the physical and mental changes that that happened with that sort of switch?
1: Mm, That's a good analogy. I really like that one. Um, Well, I'm thinking of, you know, basic our body and how it reacts. Right. So Mm -hmm. you're used to a couple of things, right? You're used to structure you're used to someone telling you this is what needs to get done today. this is what we're doing for PT right? It's yeah. very structured and not only is it structured, but it's backed by um, <laughs> sometimes aggressive, most most of the time aggressive what I've seen um, pure relations and um, the environment like if you are not holding up to that standard, if you are not holding your own slack, you're going to get chewed out, right? You're going to be told you're a piece of shit. Like, that's just the mentality of a lot of crews usually. And that's the motivation factor.
0: And punishment is physical activity.
1: Yes. 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 Yeah. So, so when you're used to that, your motivation levels are really dependent on that. So when you come down from a season you have you don't have that external motivation so a lot of my guys are like I want to go to the gym I know I should but like I don't want to and like they have a really hard time they fall into almost this depression um, because of not having that external motivation and then another thing is your body is used to burning so many calories a day right you are constantly you can't even eat enough food to to process how many calories you're burning especially when you're on the line mm. so um, with that, you're coming home a lot of my you know firefighters i see they'll say like i'm just like not hungry during off season or i'm i eat junk food all the time because i'm like bored um and a lot of that as you probably know has a huge impact on mental health too
0: oh it'll it'll destroy you exactly yeah it definitely exactly. will you're, you're and we all know you're not eating well on fire unless you supplement and, and a lot of people have started yeah. doing that which is nice to see but of course it's out of pocket payment but they're they're actively trying to take care of themselves but then like you're saying a lot of the time when the off-season hits it's just the a first week or two we call off-season blues you know that's what everybody calls it and yep. uh everyone knows when the season's over it's like all right the first two weeks maybe even the first month is going to be pretty cool like time's off we'll chill I, I now see the people that I love more often and it's really nice but then after that month the body and the mind is like hey how come we haven't gone back out like what what's going on here how come we're just chilling and that's when, yeah, the serotonin levels are off. You're not, the cortisol levels are off. It, when you're out in fighting fire, yeah, you get a cortisol rush because there's a, a flaming freight train bearing down on you. But like you yeah. said, you burn so much off that your body is processing this stuff. It's Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not the greatest for you to have that stuff running through your veins, but your body then is like, okay, uh, I'm working this off, I'm processing it off and and we'll burn it up. Yes. In the off season, it just lingers and it just stays yes. there and you're not doing it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing, but still there's a lot of folks out there that might not fully understand what's happening. And especially with the new people, because you get a new batch of people every year and, and it seems so even more and more as we continue on. So I think it's good to make people aware of this. And what, what are some suggestions you would have to kind of keep that at bay or, or at least step one, how do you become aware that this is happening?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I, there's so many layers to this. My mind is going in so many directions as you're talking about it. Just the fact I'm thinking even relationally, right? When Mm -hmm. this is sorry, going off a little bit to the side and I'll come back and answer, but That part of off-season where you start to feel that craving, okay, our body's like, why aren't we going back? Mm -hmm. Um, That is where I see a lot of the relational issues, where there's irritation. um, There's usually an uptick in drinking. um, There is an avoidance element that pops up where you don't really want to be home anymore. You're not really enjoying your partner, and they know you're not enjoying
0: them. Yeah, they start to think Um, they don't want to be here. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You would rather be with, you know, your, your crew guys than here, Mm -hmm. you know, this should be our time together. We only get this once a year. Um, a lot of times more often than not, I see this happen and it's because of that transitioning, your body's craving to go back. So I guess self-awareness is, is great. That's always, um, one of the top things on my list. I think that if you can check in with yourself and be really aware of it and some of my, you know, healthier, uh, wildland people that I've talked to and forgive me for saying guys. Cause I get a lot of women as well.
0: Um, yeah, you people, don't have to have, apologize. That's just the way we yeah. talk.
1: Yeah. Guys and girls, it, it's all, it's all in there. Um, both genders I see. And, and with that, um, I, I try to teach that self-awareness like this is what's happening and what's interesting. And I even made a post about it. I made a reel about it saying, you know, these are some of the things that happen with wildland firefighters. And I can't even tell you how many of them messaged me like, oh, that's normal. Oh, that's why. Yeah. This is not something that's really being taught. And there's not really like academies like there are like with floor firefighters, right? You just get your, you know, whatever it is that you guys do to train people to get you know, on it. And then you put them on fire. Right. So there's not, I don't feel like there's usually like a, a aspect of your training for, for new wildland guys or girls that say like, here's how to become self-aware and know what's going on in your body. And here's what to expect when you, when you have off season, cause you're probably going to feel like shit for a while. Mm-hmm. Like no one, I don't think anyone really talks about that. Have you seen that?
0: Not uh well, it's becoming a little bit more recently, but it's, there's not, there's right. not like, Like with critical training, this is what I was thinking just the other day. There's critical training. It's two weeks. You go through all your training, so on and so forth, and uh, then you're gone. Then you shotgun out, and you're stressed during that period as well. But some crews, not all, have, like at the end of critical training, they have family day. The Fulton Hotshots just had family day. They invite all the families in. They have a barbecue. Everybody can meet each other. You try to give the folks at home, like folks that they can connect with while everybody's gone and hopefully that can bridge the gap for some of the issues that we see but what i would like to see is more of that and have these family days at the end of critical do the meet and greet and then even if it's like 10 minutes have someone get up and talk and say hey these are things that we know are common and these are the signs of it and talk about self-awareness i was just talking to a firefighter uh a previous smoke jumper actually this morning Mm -hmm. and we were talking about that same thing checking in with yourself and he's just like I woke up this morning I felt a little bit off and so I just asked myself what I needed you know and this guy's a hard worker still he owns a bunch of businesses he grinds like he would if he was still in wildland fire and he's like I was told I needed to take a hot shower and listen to Macy Gray, <laughs> and so he did. And he's like, "I felt so much better." And and like, I sincerely just closed my eyes and meditated and asked what I needed, and that's what I was told I needed. And so I did it, and now I feel a whole whole lot better. It's it, there's little things mm-hmm. like that, but total roundabout point. I think yeah. that Cruz should try to set aside an afternoon, and even in the off-season like when this when you close down everybody on the crew wants to bail they want to leave let's get the trucks cleaned let's turn in our gear and let's bail but i think it's good to have that close out as well some crews have their crew dinner and things like that but again during that you know you don't have to get deep and sappy about it but just take 10 minutes and say hey now we're moving into the off-season these are some things that are common you know keep an, keep an eye out for this And, uh, I think that would be, would be very, very helpful, but you're right. It's not like in the curriculum when it comes to what we would call critical training.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so same thing, what you were saying before is because it's not sometimes then you you can't have self-awareness if you're not aware that it's even a a thing. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. So normalizing it. And that's kind of what I feel like my job is with social media, at least is, trying to create more reels and posts that talk about these things to reach more, you know, wildland firefighters. So they go, Oh, interesting. Um, I have experienced that. And I, I did a, um, this was really cool. I liked it. They made a, a story about it on my Instagram, asking them to write in and tell me things that are particular that they do. And I'll repost it to normalize it and validate that person. So I had someone say, um, I don't know, this is so embarrassing. I put I post these anonymously also. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sleep in my sleeping bag during off-season. Um, yeah, yeah. And I know, I,
0: I know I, a guy who yeah. will just go sleep on his porch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had so many just like piling in my DMs like, I do this, I didn't know other people did this. And to normalize that for just a handful of people to say this is obvious, it's normal. Look at other people are doing it too. I think that that was really probably comforting for a lot of people who were like, I'm weird. Or I, that's an, another thing that I, I hear is um, I have a hard time relating to people when I come back from fires because you come back, you know, your friends and family are there, but they're not at a standstill. They've you know, done things while you've been gone too. So you come home, people have kind of changed a little bit. Relationships might've changed a little bit, but I find that a lot of my wildland firefighters have a hard time relating to normal people and normalizing in non firefighter people non first oh, responders
0: we look down on them destiny <laughs> yeah
1: you're like you lazy piece of shit so what are you doing with your life it's
0: more it's more of a it's more of a, yes there's that aspect but it's it's wide ranging so like if someone's walking slow in front of you on your way to a restaurant you hate them
1: Yeah. you're like
0: why don't you hurry up you're in my way i have heard that and then yeah. if you're waiting in line in the grocery store it's like do you not know Already this late in your life, how this is supposed to function, (laughs) like hurry up. And yeah, you just see, you just see things where you, (laughs) you do, you kind of, you kind of get bitter about society and don't get me wrong. There's plenty of things to be bitter about with society, but there's also a lot of things to not be bitter about in society. Society is pretty great uh, when it really comes Mm -hmm. down to it. But it's totally understandable and I can relate because you, you are, you're bred in this environment where it's hurry up, get what you need to get done, done, then go help someone else and during that whole time while you're being told you have to do that you know, you're sitting in the back of the buggy. And if you're a gal, your boyfriend didn't return your text last night and you're freaked out, you know what's going on. Or if you're a guy, your girlfriend didn't get back to you last night, or she said that she does she's unsure of where this wants to go. And it's Mm -hmm. August. And then you're told to gear up and you throw 55 pounds on your back and you hike up a mountain. It's just like, yeah, you're going to get bitter when you come back and have to go buy groceries.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I heard that one too, the walking too slow or standing in line. That was another very common one that I got when I put that pull up. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And also the fact that your brain is wired differently too. So even conversationally, you know, it, people might have the feeling of, okay, get to the point already. Like, why are we having this yeah.
0: small talk, right? Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's, I still struggle with that. And it's, it's, yeah. I have actively tried to change it. And, you know, there's times where it's like I can kick into that mellow mode and be like, okay, I'm, I'm at a social event. I should probably just chill out a little bit. But at the, on the other side, being upfront and curt and honest with people, it's gotten me to a lot of trouble. But at the same time, it <laughs> has, it has, you know, it's provided uh, a perspective, not only to myself, but to others. They're like, oh, there's yeah. people who operate like this. Okay. And then if you find someone who actually can have a conversation like that, who's not in wildland fire, you can get a lot out of it, but it yes. can be very intense for people and, and it can make people kind of standoffish because the first thought is, oh, this, this guy or this gal's just an asshole. they just, they don't, they're really not even interested in, in in me but really we are interested in having conversations with people but it is that it's like hurry up let's get to the point I want to talk to you but isn't there a reason we're talking why are we why are we why are we beating around the bush here
1: yeah it's funny I relate to that as a therapist um you know outside of my professional realm socially, I also struggle with that because I would love to get to the point and get to a deeper conversation. I can't stand small talk.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Um, another thing I see often is you ask me in the beginning some things I see a lot. And I don't know if this is something you feel comfortable talking about or even something you want to explore together. But um I see a lot of guys that come to me that are struggling with um, over usage of pornography, um, and sexual dysfunctions and having issues intimately with their partners. That is one of actually the biggest things that I see during off season that, that comes up to, and it has to do with that craving a stressful environment or having that like high intensity, um, thing. I don't know if that's anything that you have explored or heard, or if that's even something that's brought up in your world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not something that folks like want to talk about a lot, no. but, <laughs> but it's both, it's both guys and gals. It happens to the gals yes. as well. And absolutely. when I was working in Utah, I'm not going to name names, but yeah, there was this kid on the crew who there's actually multiple of them. It's a massive problem, but they, <laughs> they would come to me as their supervisor and they would talk about it and they're like, listen, like if we get a hotel or I'm in my tent, like this is what I'm craving and blah, blah, blah. And I would try to convince them. I'm like, well, do you got to stop? But that's like telling an alcoholic that they shouldn't drink anymore. And, exactly. and it is, it is an addiction and it does cause problems in relationships because it, it yes. does rewire your brain and, uh, it just adds, really it just adds to the distancing and you know having your partner be you know this this feeling of 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 something that's foreign because not only have you been in the woods living off by yourself but before you come back to your romantic partner you know you're you're going into the hotel and watching graphic pornography before you head back home and you know we're very Observant creatures, and your partner can get a sense of that and be like, Hey, you know, this something's not off. I, I don't have all of you right now, things like that. Um, but yeah, what have you exactly. seen uh, on that point?
1: Yeah, very, very similar. Um, I think it also has to do with that chasing of a thrill or chasing of that high. Whereas, um, normal day-to-day things like sex (laughs) are not seen as, um, exciting enough or like there's enough thrill. And so oftentimes I see people that are diving into pretty graphic pornography and what you were saying, and that's super true too, is when they, they come back and they're with their partners again they are finding that either they are having a hard time, um, with erectile dysfunction, no pun intended, um, (laughs) or they're struggling to, um, to have desire for their partner. And again, like you were saying, it's, it's that separate separation of, um, what's really interesting is people usually crave pornography, especially people that are away, you know, on season and stuff like that, because they're, they're craving that connection yeah, with 100%. another person. Yeah. But what's interesting is that it doesn't connect you to anything except a fantasy or a high. Um, yeah, you're, you're so craving they, the
0: dopamine is what you're doing.
1: Exactly. And so, and, and you're giving yourself that dopamine hit every single time. So just like a drug, you're craving more and more of it. And then what I see, when I see it becoming a problem is when, um, you know, I'll have someone say, you know, I am doing it multiple times a day. My, um, and this is a lot during off season too, because I think there's this like boredom, right? And this like um, idle hands kind of situation, idle time, um, where, you know, you're used to doing all this stuff and now you have nothing to do and you haven't, you don't have the momentum to do things. So you sit around and watch porn all day. Well, when that happens, um, you are really feeding into this like quick dopamine hit over and over and over again. Uh, Very similar to alcohol use as well. I see a lot of alcohol use normalized. I know this is a topic that a lot of listeners probably get uncomfortable hearing about, um, but I think it's so normalized that most people that are heavily drinking, um, either during season or off season, they don't see it as that. And it might not be till their partners pointed out like, wow, you just had like five or six beers in one sitting. Like, what's the deal? Oh, well, it's not as bad as this guy at work. You should see him. He drinks a 12 pack every night. Both of those are extreme. Like that's a lot. That's a lot. But our tolerance is so high because it's normalized. Right.
0: And you're making excuses for it. And you're saying, well, it only happens once every two weeks, and oh, you know, and like you said yeah. earlier, I deserve this. I deserve this, you know. Yes. If, yeah. If you only yeah. Or that, I'm not addicted.
1: Say, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not addicted. I go in the woods and I'm out there for 14 days or 21 days, and I'm not drinking. If I had a problem, I would have withdrawal then, and I don't. That's not that's not the definition of an alcoholic, right? Or you don't even have to label it as an alcoholic. Someone that struggles with substance abuse because you're trying to nor you're trying to get back down to your baseline and your baseline doesn't really exist because you're used to functioning on such high hypervigilant levels all the time
0: hundred percent to kind of circle back to what we were talking about before my sister is a urologist oh okay and um it was it was a while ago probably a decade ago now i was talking to her and, uh, she was asking me, she's like, well, what are your habits? What do you do? Do you drink? Do you, do you chew tobacco? Do you smoke? What's your diet like? And I explained the diet to her and, uh, I never really have been a big drinker. People in my family have been, and all my friends are what I would consider alcoholics, but they, uh, my sister was saying, uh, she's like, well, what about everybody else? I'm like, well, they all drink, they all just do nothing but eat sugar and carbs and, they are heavily addicted to tobacco and nicotine. And she's like, she's like, everyone's penis isn't going to work in 10 years. (laughs) And I'm like, well, why tell me why that is. Then she's like, well, the alcohol will degrade it. It'll degrade your, your veins and your arteries. Uh, It increases your uh, serotonin levels. And so that will decrease uh, any options for that. And blood flow restricts blood flow and uh, nicotine use shrinks your, capillaries in your arteries and so blood flow is restricted and then a poor diet again will will cause inflammation which again reduces circulation and then you just become depressed when you do have a problem and uh it's it's everything you know wildland hotshots want it all and uh yeah. wildland firefighters want it all they crave it and so there's really no meter of like when I should stop or slow down because you are so good at, you know, taking in so much stimulus. Your body has been trained to to handle that sort of thing. So you give your body stimulus and there's no like cutoff. You're like, okay, well this feels good. I can do more. Oh, that feels good. I can do more. I can do more. I can do more. And then you wake up the next morning and you're like, well, I feel like shit. Maybe I should do it all over again. And then it's a cycle. It's a bad, horrible spiral
1: yeah yeah or that avoidance, right? like yeah. I'm not hungover i that's normal mm-hmm. um, that's I like your sister's perspective of that that's huge yeah and then and then they get put on antidepressants and that makes everything not work. so yep. <laughs> it's a big cycle absolutely i also um I think well, I have a question too. do yeah. you think that? I'm thinking of like nicotine use, especially, right? Um, Chewing tobacco is huge with wildland firefighters. I don't know really hardly any that don't. I don't think a lot of my female firefighters do, but a lot of my male do. Um, Oh, the the gals are packing shoes. Yeah. Maybe not the ones I've seen, but definitely I believe it. Yeah. and. I understand why, right? You're put on the line for 24 to 48 hours. Sometimes if it's, there's not anyone to cover you and you have to stay awake and alert. And it's really, and and on top of this, you're drinking maybe like um, energy drinks or five hour energies, you know, trying to, to stay alert for that long, which is really, against um biologically what our bodies are supposed to do right we're only supposed to be up for so many hours Mm -hmm. only supposed to have you know so much energy in our tank and then we're supposed to rest and restore and that's kind of how we were created and how we're supposed to function but wildland firefighters do not function that way um and i'm wondering if you think it's the elements that have created these addictions and if it's do you think that it's possible to not have these addictions to things and 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 be able to function in these really extreme environments because i I see them going hand in hand
0: uh is it possible yes i do think it's possible to do it without all of the vices that we love so much um Mm kind of what i think is like you slam all this caffeine you slam all these energy drinks pop a couple caffeine pills and you do you're gonna get jittery and you're gonna be you're basically high and uh but you need something to mellow it all out. And so you take in the tobacco and the nicotine and it adds a nice curved edge (laughs) to how everything feels, you know, like you're still, you're still roaring and ready to go from all the stimulants, but the nicotine then kind of puts like a nice little glassy glare over everything and you Mm -hmm. can still function. So it's one feeds off the other. I think ultimately, um, so, when I fought fire, I didn't really have any sort of tobacco or nicotine intake. I would mm-hmm. do sniff snuff. Uh, I would keep a can of that, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as much as like I wasn't taking a sniff snuff as often as people would roll their own cigarette or or toss in a chew like if I was really sure. dragging on like day eight, I would pull out the sniff snuff so I could move around a little bit better mm-hmm. um, exactly, yeah, yeah but. I had other things that I used as crutches. Like I would take uh, ginseng gin sink tinctures uh-huh. and that would kick me in the pants too. And I, I would, I would have to say that I probably, I don't, I don't want to say I was addicted to it, but I would use it every day. You know, like I would wake up and I'd be like, I need to hit that ginseng So my eyes pop a little bit better. And uh, that that's what I was using instead of nicotine. So I think that environment you just, you're just craving something. Take my mind off of what I've been doing. Give me something to assist me in dealing with this reality and just chugging through day after day. So can it be done without it? For sure. I worked with plenty of Mormon kids who didn't touch anything. Um, but Mm -hmm. their addiction was sugar. Like they Mm -hmm. would, they would take in more sugar than anybody else. And then they would get a rush from that. And, uh, we would say the same thing. Like you eat Skittles, like we eat chew. It's, it's just, it's just the trade-off. Can it be done? It's probably just as bad. Yeah. Well, for (laughs) sure. For sure. Uh, Can it be done? Yeah. I'm sure it can be done, but it's, it's hard to, to get to that point. And also it's just that peer pressure aspect. Like everybody around you is offering someone rolls up a cigarette. It kind of smells good. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just there and available to you. Again, mm-hmm. I think it comes back to self-awareness. Like I would bet people a hundred dollars. I'd keep a hundred dollar bill in my yellow pocket and I would bet people a hundred dollars if they could go an entire roll without tobacco. And, oh, gosh. I, and I would, wow. I would offer it to people who were like severely addicted to tobacco, you know? Yeah. And rarely, yeah. anybody rarely anybody could do it. It would be like day yeah. nine and they would come up and they'd be like, yo, bets off and they would have a fat chew in. Like, all right, yeah, cool, no worries. But it's back to that self-awareness, right? I think you have to be aware of what you're providing your body and your mind to support you through your work. And once you're aware of the actions that you're taking, like you're aware that you put a chew in before you get out of your sleeping bag. You're aware that you're slamming two five-hour energies or popping caffeine pills, whatever it is. There was guys who would... The pain pills, you know, like a guy would blow out his back, right? And mm-hmm. he would come back to the crew and he'd just have a bottle of pills that were prescribed to him. And a guy would be like, dude, my knee's bad, but I can't go to the doctor. Kick me a pill. And so he'd take mm-hmm. a pill and like that sort of thing happens as well. So I just think mm-hmm. the first step is just to be aware of what your routine is. Be aware of what your what your actions are. And then you can decide if you want to change it. And if you want to change it, it's easier to do that. If you're aware, I understand a lot of people don't want to change it and are fine. You know, they tell yeah. themselves they're fine doing what they're doing and that's okay. You know, I can't force anybody to to make changes if they don't want to, but yeah, to be self-aware of just what your rituals are. And, uh, that will help you yeah. determine if this is something that's Sustainable, number one, and two, is this healthy for the long run?
1: Absolutely. Um, I have a background in working in um, substance abuse as well. And it's really interesting. And this is going to take it to the extreme. So a little bit different than, you know, just nicotine or alcohol or, or sugar. But um, I will have people come and say that, um, yeah, I was using meth and I would, I would take meth and then I would use fentanyl on top of it so that it would normal, make me feel normal, right? Yeah, Very similar to what you're saying of like the, you know, I would drink all this caffeine and then I would get like, you know, that glass effect or glass over effect with nicotine. What's really interesting is anytime I've looked at substance abuse, almost all my clients that are struggling to get sober in that, in that um, place where they're detoxing will say, I just feel like I function better when I have this. And that's probably what a lot of, you know, nicotine users would say too. I function better. I'm more alert. You know, it makes me feel, but what's really interesting is what your body is trying to mimic with these substances is the, um, like highest capacity of functioning naturally so, if you were, let's say you weren't a wildland firefighter and you were able to get you know eight hours of sleep and exercise every day and drink a lot of water and eat super healthy, you would get the optimal effects of being healthy. But because your environment isn't one that you can do those things in, um it's really not possible that to get all of those things in when you are working in the environment that you are you are having to almost like supplement with things that are going to make you feel like you function better. And that's where the lie is with these substances is, oh yeah, that pain pill makes me function better. My knee doesn't hurt when I take it. And I'm all around a better, you know, crew member or worker. We well, have, yeah, but if you, you know, took time to rest and heal your knee, then you would have that naturally. So it's interesting. It's that like uh, facade that it makes you better, but in reality it's kind of just making you function optimally in an unhealthy way. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think folks are just trying to get the most out of their body as they can. They don't want to let anybody down. It's like uh, optimizing a chainsaw. You run these things into the ground and you're like, okay, this thing's kind of bogging down a little bit. I I think I'll put a different air filter in. I'm going to put a max flow air filter in here than just the regular air filter and kind of cheat around the system a little bit. Or, hey, I'm going to bore it out a little bit so I get more power with each stroke and compression that happens and artificially give it more boost than what it was manufactured for. And so you're like, yeah, Yeah. I'll just optimize my body with all these things. And I went through this. I totally get it. Like you do, you feel better and the day starts better and you feel like you can just operate again. The mood gets lighter. But like you said, at the beginning of the conversation, we we compartmentalize all of the things that we're putting off or delaying. And then when there is downtime and there is silence and there is time away from the line your subconscious is powerful and it's a sneaky little thing because it will just start bringing the stuff to the surface and it'll be like yo i've been sitting on this for a while like maybe you should maybe you should think about it a little bit and then you close it down because you know you got to go back out or you don't want it to affect your personal life but Mm -hmm. when you do close it down people who know you very well take notice of that and if you don't communicate it on what's actually going on then they're left in the dark and then they start thinking it's them and then the tension starts and if you never actually check in on yourself you can't communicate how you're feeling because you haven't even assessed it yourself right
1: yeah yes yeah absolutely that was kind of where my mind was going next is we're normalizing a lot of this stuff and talking about what's you know normal to see in this field but i i really would love to leave you with tools and some of your listeners with tools to actually be able to work on these things right I and mean, yeah. there's a there's power in normalizing and again it helps people to feel like oh wow okay this is talked about this is you know when you hear a podcast and you're like oh my gosh i was struggling with that i didn't know Other people did like that feels really good just to hear that other people do. That's, that's a goal here. But I, on top of that, I really want to, um, encourage that communication. Um, I think that that's so important, right? So step one is being self-aware and that takes time and that's by, you know, talking to people and you know listening to podcasts about this stuff and then on top of that is is communication especially with your loved ones back at home when you're on um communicating what's going on with you is so helpful and goes so far and i can speak from um you know a past partner of a wildland firefighter you go a lot of time without communication. Um, and for some of my um, shitty communicators, you might go the whole role without communicating. And you're if you have an anxious partner, which I see a lot of times, I see um, two sides of the spectrum here. I also run a, um, a group for first responder partners or girlfriends of first responders, and I get a lot of girlfriends. Um, I haven't gotten any males yet, but I've, I have a lot of girlfriends of wildland firefighters. Who are just extremely, extremely anxious. Um, I have heard from him, you know, he doesn't have service. I'm checking Pulse Point, And I, I've been there. I understand that is a slippery slope. But one of the biggest things that can help your partner when they struggle during your on season is communication. And it doesn't have to be anything huge because you don't have the capacity for that when you're out there but more so just like checking in, Hey, I'm safe. Hey, this is what we're doing. Hey, I, I, you know, I don't know when we're coming home. Cause a lot of times you don't know. Right. And there's that pressure from your partner. When are you coming home? How many days are you on the fire? And and you won't know until the last second. So it's, it's a lot of pressure that you can feel from home when you're on the fire too. Yeah. Um, but that communication is so helpful. And then I also want to highlight the other side is I also get a lot of the opposite where my uh, firefighters are the anxious ones in the relationships and they have more avoidant or um independent partners left at home and so then you're worrying what is my partner doing while i'm not there and um are they cheating on me are they being loyal um you know when i get one of, home
0: one of the most you know? toxic industry jokes that happens in the wildfire world is your girlfriend's cheating on you, your wife's cheating oh, on yeah. you. Oh, yeah. And it's been made into this joke where, oh, why are you feeling mm-hmm. bad? Do you think your wife's your wife's cheating on you? Oh, he's having a bad day. His girlfriend's, you know, probably... Todd Johnson is the name used in the wildfire world for the guy who's sleeping with your girlfriend. Your gal's probably with Todd Johnson. <laughs> Damn and, it, Todd. <laughs> yeah, everyone hates Todd, you know? But... Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it is toxic. You know, I'll be honest and I'll just say it because when you are concerned about what's happening at home and you don't have communication and your really good buddy, your best friend is like, ah, he's just mad because his girlfriend's cheating on him. It's like, yeah, I'll laugh that off. And it's funny. But again, it's that subconscious that eats at you when you're laying in your sleeping bag, like, well, I haven't talked to her or I haven't talked to him what is what is going on. And then it does turn into the spiral. And then again you add in substance abuse and pornography and it then it's a horrible mix.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it creates that um separation or that gap even larger because you're not having that regular communication and your partner is at home living their life and continuing on with their life. And so you're missing a lot of it. You're not getting that normal catch-up like you would if you were close to someone where you know daily you would debrief on what happened with your day. You don't get that when you're out. And then also another thing is it becomes a safety hazard. You know, I've talked to, um, gosh, I talked to a lot of firefighters who off season, they'll end a relationship or get broken up with or whatever, you know, or in the middle of a divorce and then go straight into season. And they have the hardest time compartmentalizing because when they're on a fire, all they can think about is, what happened, what they did wrong, you know, what their you know spouse did, all these things, yeah, what, right? What so, could have
0: I done different? You play all these scenarios. Yes. I found grown men crying under barbed wire fences because of stuff like that. Uh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which is dangerous. I mean, yes, feel your feelings. That's not dangerous. But when you have a chainsaw in your hand, right? Yeah. Or when you are the person that's supposed to be like detecting you know, weather changes or, you know, things like that, in order to keep your crew safe, you need to be alert and, and functioning on all cylinders. Um, and, and grieving during that process is really difficult. That's another kind of off the topic thing here is like grief in whatever aspect that looks like, whether it be grief of a relationship loss or grief of someone dying um, or grief of a, a huge change that's happened in your life or in your family's life. And then having to go to work, um, it's actually extremely draining on our bodies and our mental capacities. And so if you find ever that you're going through stuff like that right before you go back to you know your season again, you, you will find that physically, you're not able to probably keep up mentally. You're not able to keep up. And it's going to feel like you're trudging through sand more than you already are because your body really takes a toll when it's grieving. And so I want to recognize anybody that is going through that because we can't map everything out perfectly where, you know, let's plan our grief for off-season so we have time to situate it. And then when we go to on-season, we're like on and ready to just just be alert. Life doesn't work like that. So I'm sure there are people that are trying really hard to compartmentalize things that they're struggling with when they go back to their season again.
0: Yeah, 100%. My question for you is, what what can you offer as a solution to bridge that gap between what the folks at home are asking for and what the folks on the line are asking for cuz it it sounds like it does come down to communication and and people crave that and as we know in the industry you can't always just communicate one of the best relationships i've ever witnessed in wildfire was a guy who was my squatty on the hotshot crew initially. And then he went to jump and uh, his gal was in wildland fire as well. And and I would hang out with them and, and they were just the greatest couple. And then it was really moving because we were on a fire in Idaho and he pulled me aside and I was older than him, but he was my squatty. So he would still Mm -hmm. like come to me for personal advice, which was, I was flattered and and honored for that. But at the same time, it was kind of weird. But I love this guy and, and his now wife is great. And he was just so giddy because he's like, I think I'm going to ask her to marry me and this is so great. One thing that they did that I didn't see anybody else take the effort to do it, and I'm sure other people do, it's just I, it wasn't in my sphere to see it, is every night he would call her. And yeah. uh, she, maybe she wouldn't answer. You know, okay, that's fine. Get an answering machine. He would leave a nice message and uh but he would try every night to contact her he'd be up in the buggy and then when he got home first priority she knew it as well first priority was them and he would go buy some flowers and two tall boys and then they would go find a place to just sit with each other and enjoy that beer and uh, then they would start the Mm r&r and they've had a very highly successful relationship and, not uh, and I think it was because it was a priority. That's the thing is it, mm-hmm. it needs to, the communication needs to be a priority and it's not something that is easy. Like I know it's not easy because I've struggled with it as well. I was talking to a gal, uh, that I was in a relationship with for a long time, just the other day. And we are just kind of just reminiscing and like, Hey, what went wrong? And you know, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And, uh, we just came to the conclusion that we never just sat with each other. You know, we were always on the move. She's in fire as well. And we were always on the move and we always felt like something needed to be done. And, you know, sitting idle didn't feel good, but now as time has passed and we've matured, it's like, man, we never just like sat with each other and chilled, you know? And, and that means a lot too. It's just the spending that, 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 that personal time, that romantic time together and and a lot can be communicated just through that as well. So how would you suggest people start working on communication with their partners?
1: Mm-hmm. Um I like that you brought up relationships within um you know both being in the first responder field. That's I want to point out that that magnifies everything because you're getting it from both sides, not just one. And Mm -hmm. there is a mutual understanding, which is a strong point of relationships that are both first responders, but you're both dealing with, um, things at the same time. So, um, that's a tricky one, but it could also be a really strong one when done well. And I like hearing that story about your friends. Um, sounds like they have a really wonderful relationship. I would say that, um, a couple of things that can be really helpful are, not just communication, but, um, and prioritizing it, but also thoughtfulness. I think that thoughtfulness goes a really long way in relationships and it could be like something small, right? Leaving a sticky note for your partner before you leave, thinking about you or writing them a note, you know, when you have downtime and you know, I was out there and I was thinking about you and I wrote this, or maybe that's not your cup of tea, but what, um, or sending home flowers. I see a lot of guys do that. I think that in girls too, I think that that is really a thoughtful thing. I was thinking about you while I was gone. We haven't talked in a long time. I just want you to know you're still a priority to me. I think that that is an important thing in any relationship. And on top of that, understanding your partner's needs is really big too. Part of that communication. Um, I'm sure we've all heard the term love languages. Um, Yeah. And I I like the idea of it. I think that it can get kind of cringy, but more so if we simplify it right down to the bottom is like, how do you, how does your partner feel the most loved? When do they feel the most loved? And you can ask them that, right? Some people it will be, and going through, you know, the typical love languages, it would be quality time. You know, I feel the most love when we can sit down and, and have dinner together and talk, or maybe it's acts of service, right? I feel the most loved when you come home and help me clean up the house or like fix things outside. Or, um, you know, maybe it's gifts, you know, when you send me flowers, that makes me feel really loved or, words of affirmation. When you text me to tell me that you love me and you're thinking about me, or you go ahead out of your way to call and like, tell me how much I mean to you. That's when I feel the most love. So if you're able to understand what it is that your partner prefers or values, then that's really, really important. Because if you are trying to give a love language that your partner doesn't receive, it's like trying to spend monopoly money at the bank. They're like, no, sir, we don't take that here. Um, that's huge in a relationship, any relationship.
0: I think something that hotshots struggle with a lot, and I'm going to continue on this love language thing. Mm-hmm. Mine, mine is touch, right? I, okay. I, yeah. I, li- I like that. My, my previous one, yeah. partners, yeah, my previous partners have been gifts, and it's not like they wanted me to go buy them something extravagant. Like even yeah. if it was like something small, even, even if I just brought them home some sticks wrapped in a ribbon, they would think it was the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Right. And I never really understood that. Like I, I never really did. I I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and it's like, okay, I get that now. Okay. But with like wildland firefighters and hotshots, I think a lot of them, it is touch, but yes, when you're out in the woods and you're shutting everything down, you start to build this layer over yourself to where your you think that you don't want you don't want the touch, or it becomes uncomfortable because you've been away from it for so long. And yes, then then yeah. you get home, and your partner tries to give you that, and inside you're like, "This is the greatest thing! I just want my woman to hold me. I just want to hold my woman or my man." And mm-hmm. but then part of you is, part of you rejects it because it's been so long since you've had it. And again, it's just that self-awareness thing, but like you said, it can get cringy with the love language stuff, but it's, it's real. Like it's a real thing. Um, So I think it's something to be aware of. And, and even for the partners at home, it's something to be aware of. Like, yeah, they may crave your touch and they really, really do. And And it's part of the reason why people get so much anxiety while they're out, because it's that unknown of like, I'm not feeling loved or touched what's happening with them. You know? And, yeah. uh, but yeah, understanding what your partner's needs are. And again, it comes back to communication. You have to communicate that. Otherwise you're not going to know what it actually is.
1: Yes. Yeah. And also if your partner's love language is touched, that's not something that's accessible when you're gone for, you know, 21 days. So, yeah. you know, um, something interesting I see with my female, um, um, wildland especially is they, and not all, so I'm not generalizing, but the ones I have seen have struggled with wanting or liking touch. Um, and we've talked about this and this is kind of going off in a different direction too, but, um, as a female in that field, a very male, um, dominated industry, and it is something that's becoming, you know, obviously more prevalent to have females in, um, but it's still male dominant. And, um, what happens is I find a lot of my females have a hard time with that balance between femininity and masculinity, right? You have to have a certain level of masculinity to be taken seriously, um, to be treated like one of the crew members. If you are too feminine, too bubbly, too giddy, you're treated like an idiot. And mm-hmm. I've seen this a lot on cruises as well. Um, and I've heard it secondhand, like, Oh man, there's this chick on my crew. She's such an idiot. Like I I've, I've heard this talk and I think it happens a lot and I think it's, it's getting better. But, um, what happens is these women are sensing this. So they are really tapping into their masculinity, which is not a bad thing. I love that. It's powerful. And it's very powerful to, for women to be in this place. Um, and it's strong, but I think that we forget that femininity is also just as powerful and strong as masculinity in different ways. And so when they come back from being with, you know, in this really masculine space, they have a hard time tapping into their femininity again. And a lot of times that's where, you know, naturally as women, our femininity is, is linked to nurturing and in caregiving and um, that physical touch. And so I find a lot of my female first responders have a hard time with that touch because they have a hard time tapping into that part of themselves because they have been trained mentally and socially that it's not acceptable for them to have those things while they're in this field. Have you ever seen that?
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. You just described every woman I've been in a relationship with. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think another part of it is yes, yes, 100% 100% what you said but then they get home and that still carries over but subconsciously they think to themselves something's missing something's yes. missing and I don't know I can't put my finger on it and I but and then there's the urge to be feminine and there's the urge to express that feminine power and that feminine energy but again that top layer is like nope can't do that the guys are watching can't do that. You got to, you got to man up, you know, you got to show that you're mm-hmm. strong and that carries mm-hmm. over into the home life. And then if you're a partner of one of these women, it's like, yo, I just want you to love me. <laughs> I just, yes. I just want you yeah. to be a kind woman that I knew at one point in time. And, uh, yeah. you know, you can't blame them because it is, it's the culture they're in. But again, it's that self-awareness. Like a lot of these gals that I've, that I'm friends with and I've been in relationships with, they, they, they do feel that way and they don't really want to talk about it because it, it exposes them and they feel vulnerable, but they, yeah. they, they do, they feel like something's missing and they can't put their finger on it and that masculine energy carries over and it, it's, it's a struggle. It, it causes problems.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of these topics that we're talking about are things that I see regularly with my clients. And I just want to throw this out here just to put a plug in for therapy too, um, and to continue to normalize it. Um, just because you are thinking about therapy doesn't mean that you're fucked up. Doesn't mean you're crazy. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You can literally come for you know four sessions and be good if you want to. It it, it really is. Especially I can only speak from my perspective as how I do therapy and my approach. But working with um, you know first responders in general, it is a really good tune up sometimes when you're noticing these things and you have the awareness that something might be a little off. So maybe during off season, you've had this pattern. And so this year you're like, okay, I want to get ahead of that curve. I know that this is something that happens for me. It's happened every off season. Um, I'm gonna, you know, make an appointment with a therapist and I'm gonna talk with them for a few sessions or until season starts again, you know, you know, once a month or every other week or whatever you're comfortable with and need. And I think that these people would be really surprised on what it's like to be given space to just be able to talk about this and be understood in this. And I think that's also why it's really important to find a therapist that is culturally competent and understands the culture and speaks the language um, because that can be such a nurturing thing, and it can really, really be part of your self care to help you to get back into on season again and again. There's this toxic masculine vic too with men and women of in the job of oh, I don't need therapy. Like I, I just like, I just keep going and like I'm I don't have any problems. Like some people that's totally fine. Not everyone needs therapy. Not you know not everyone needs therapy at all. But if you're finding yourself with these patterns that seem to be more toxic and you're having that awareness, like this is a tool and like therapy is a privilege. I think that's something we forget. Like it's used as like a punishment or like, Oh, you need to go to therapy. Like, no, it's a privilege. Like what a privilege to be able to sit with someone that like holds that space and understands you and values you and wants to help you come up with strategies for you to be functioning optimally as your best self Um, And I I would love to encourage that reframe for therapy. It doesn't have to be me. It can be any other therapist that works with first responders, but I really encourage like a tune-up. I have one wildland firefighter. He sees me during off season and then he'll see me like sporadically um, through the season, like every once in a while, just as a tune-up, just to touch bases with me, to talk about his sleep, to talk about you know, what's going on that he's noticing with himself. It's so important to have that.
0: A hundred percent. And and one of the ways I look at it is you get home from a season or a role or whatever. And a lot of what I'm hearing is people just, they don't, they don't vent to their family or their loved ones because it's just like, I'm not going to put the burden on them. And then you get into that spi- yeah. that spiral yeah. that we've talked about, right? If mm-hmm. you allow yourself to see someone where you can just talk it out. And that's the reason you're there. You're there just to talk it out. That number 1, that cr- that puts all of that stuff out into the universe and you verbalized it, which is very powerful. Yes. And then it allows you to then process all of that stuff. And then when you go back home, you're you're more comfortable to talk about it in a way that's maybe positive and not negative mm-hmm. and help, you know, the folks around you understand. And I just think something that a lot of folks are lacking is just verbalizing how they feel. Yeah, you can have that narrative inside your head and be like, how am I, how is it going? Um, that's why I think writing is really good for folks as well, just to get it out. Yeah. But yeah. To, to verbalize it, it makes it real. And then once you make it, make it real, you have to deal with it because it's real now. And it provides that space to make that happen It declutters some things. And then you can go back home to your loved ones and one, have a little bit of weight off your shoulders. And two, you have already expressed it once and you've kind of sorted it out. So if the questions do come like, hey, honey, what's, what's going on with you? So on and so forth. Instead of the, the, you know, knee jerk response of, ah, nothing. It's just whatever. It's just whatever, you know, let's make dinner. And it's like, oh well, yeah, I want to make dinner too, but I also want to know if you're okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I yeah. think I think it it helps you kind of kind of line it out. Be like you've given a briefing, and after you give a briefing one time, it's easier to relay it back to someone else uh, on what what actually it is. So I think there is a stigma, of course. People are like, oh, I don't want to go to therapy, whatever. But if mm-hmm. you just look at it as having a conversation. And like, hey, I'm just going to tell you how everything's going and maybe you can give me a little bit of advice how I should move forward with this. But I think it's super healthy because once you verbalize it, it's real and then you deal with it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people, too, um, don't like the idea of um, them not having all the answers or being able to solve the problem on their own, especially being natural problem solvers. Um, And an analogy that I I really like and I want to leave here, too, is. Therapy is really similar to where if like, let's say we were in your house and I was like, hey, did you see those cobwebs in your house? And you hang out in your house all the time. So you'd be like, yeah, Destiny, I see those cobwebs. I live in my house. Of course I see them. Now, let's say you never leave your house. You've only been inside your house. You've never gone outside to your backyard for some reason. I'm going to go in your backyard and I'm going to go, whoa, did you see your gutters? And you are like, no, I didn't. I didn't see my gutters. I didn't even know I... Had gutters, right? Um, I'm like, oh, they look like crap. <laughs> can you go? I, I didn't yeah. know. Thank you for bringing me outside to show me. I didn't even know those gutters were there, right? That is what therapy is. As human beings, we all have blind spots, myself included. I see a therapist. We all, there. there's no human that is so self aware that they can see every blind spot in every corner. It's, it's non existent. And so, back to therapy being a privilege, like what a privilege to be able to have someone on the outside go, ah, did you see your gutters are kind of messy. And another analogy I like is like a puzzle, right? As a therapist, I often feel like I'm doing a puzzle and I I hate puzzles, Yeah. (laughs) but, um, I like these guys (laughs) just a side note. They're giving me pieces about themselves and putting them in place. And then I'm turning the puzzle around and I'm like, Hey, see, like, this is this is why this is here. Do you see how these puzzle pieces link together? And often just like really simple things like, oh, that's like, wow, why didn't I see that? Because it's a blind spot. And we all have them. That's all therapy is. I don't know anything better probably. Like I've been trained in certain ways and I know how to validate and listen and hold space. And I have all these therapeutic interventions, but really what I'm doing is just looking at you Um, And I've been trained to be able to look at people from a different perspective and then gently point it out so that they understand what needs to change. And then I aid in that change. Right. We come up with a game plan. I'm very goal oriented. Come up with this is what we're going to do. These are the steps you're going to take. This is how you're going to get to where you want to be.
0: Yeah. And with that blind spot, if folks just want to think about it this way. When you're backing up a truck or a hotshot buggy, you don't do it by yourself Mm -hmm. because you can't see behind you because there's a blind spot. So you send someone out that you trust who's going to be your backer and they'll kind of direct you. They're not going to tell you exactly where to go, but they'll say, Hey, you know, you, you still have a little ways to go or you need to go left or right a little bit, but you're the one who's still parking the truck. And the whole reason you have them back there is to fill that blind spot to allow you to maneuver and safely go where you want to go. And you can kind of see it Mm -hmm. as that as well.
1: Mm, I like that. You are good at analogies as well. I think our brains probably both work very, very similar. I'm hearing your analogies. I really like
0: them. You know, you gotta, you gotta see it the way you see it. And like you said, a lot of folks think they're alone and no one can relate. And I'm the only one that does that. But yeah, then you just link it to a couple of things that are familiar to you, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, whoa!" <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. is there
0: anything you want to leave uh, everybody with? Where can they find you? How can they reach out? And and a closing message for everybody.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. My, um, Instagram handle is on underscore being underscore resilient. Um, you can always DM me. Um, I also have a psychology page. You can search my name, destiny Morris M O R R I S is my last name. Um, and you can email me destinymorristherapy at gmail.com even if you just have questions and maybe you want to do like a free 15 minute consultation where we chat on the phone, you tell me a little bit about what's going on and I can tell you what I would recommend. There's no harm in that. Um, super at your own pace, something that I could leave with you guys. Um, I feel like we talked about a lot here, but I just want to kind of leave maybe this space to say, how proud I am of every single person that's in this field. And I understand and recognize how difficult it is sometimes to function healthily in it and all of the, um, the struggles that come with, with being a first responder. And it's, it's more than um, a normal, you know, nine to five person would have. And I want to, I really want to hold space for that. And if you're someone that's listening and you're in this field, I, I just want you to know like how seen and valued you are, And if you're someone that has been trying to better themselves, whether through therapy or just by trying to get their life healthy um, and communicate better, I'm just really proud of you because I know how hard it is to do that. And it goes against the grain. So I think that's it. I really um, appreciate you having me on the podcast today.
0: Well, hey, thanks for coming on. I thought it was a great conversation. Yeah, me too. Well, hey stop back sometime come back in check in maybe in the off season or before we go into the off season we can have another little chat and give some folks some reminders um on what to do moving forward
1: yeah that sounds great thank you
0: thanks again destiny (laughs)